Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the Virtual Voyage, we were making our way to Tel Shiloh here in Israel, and we had just arrived when our time ran out. So let's quickly recap what we learned last time as we stand just inside of this ancient city. Tel Shiloh is a city that the Israelites settled in after their conquest of the land of Israel that God gave to them. It was a central location, which was great when we consider the outlay of the land. And if we also look around, we see these various hills. See, just look to your left, your right, back and front, and you'll see all the hills around us. And that would have allowed for the people to camp out. So when all of Israel would have come to Shiloh for festivals and for worship, you can see that this spot we're looking out at wouldn't have been enough room. This little tell that we're on, we'll get there in a second, this little tell, it wasn't enough room. So the idea that, that or, or the, really the fact here that Shiloh has many different hills around that people come to makes it a prime location as well. We also talked about the meaning of a tell, and this word is something you need to put in your back pocket as a virtual voyager because it will come up very frequently. We saw that a tell is just a mound or a heap. A site becomes a tell when a people group lives there, then they move out or maybe they're destroyed, and then another group will come and build over that previous group. So I think this is pretty cool because right now we're actually standing on top of many previous people groups and civilizations that would have existed here, which is just super fascinating to me. In fact, right now, if you look over to your right here, you'll see some archaeologists digging right now. And what they're doing is they're actually digging down into the tell and they're going to be sifting and seeing what they can find from different time periods. So that's something cool to check out as well. Maybe we'll be able to stop by and ask them some questions later. Okay, so what is even here at Tel Shiloh? I told you a little bit about that last time, but just to reiterate, here's what we're going to see today. So this is the place where the tabernacle dwelt for 369 years, and there's a potential spot that we have marked off as what could have been the site of the tabernacle. It's also the place where Hannah prayed for her son. We have a traditional spot for that prayer. And it's also the place where that said son, Samuel, uh, grew up as a mighty prophet of the Lord and ended up being super crucial in Israel's history. So how about we go check this place out here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. The first thing I want us to do as we walk along here is to look at the city walls. We're seeing them surrounding us. These were probably originally constructed by the Canaanites. They were the first uh, settlers in Shiloh. And these walls, we've talked about city walls before, but just to, to reiterate again, these walls were crucial to a city's defense. See, you wanted to have walls to stop the enemy from getting through to your city as quickly, right? If you have these walls, then maybe you can at least buy yourself some time. And they also provided a strategic outpost because men could maybe go up on the walls, look out, see enemies coming in the distance, right? And then give word to those in the city to prepare. Now, the city walls here are significant in the Bible because of a man named Eli. Maybe you've, you've heard of Eli, the high priest who raised Samuel. Uh, Hannah's son, right? Hannah's son, we talked about Hannah's prayer. We'll get there in a second. And of course, Samuel was dedicated to the Lord as a servant by Hannah. So if you remember, uh, this is a little detail, but Eli raised two wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They did great evils in the sight of the Lord. They took the best parts of the sacrifices that the people brought for themselves, 
um, they weren't supposed to do that. They were supposed to just randomly take out uh, part of the sacrifice as their as their sustenance, but they didn't do that. They had relations with women who served in the sanctuary. I mean, <laughs> these guys were not the cream of the crop, if you get my, um, my gist. So it's even sadder to think that they were raised by such a righteous man as Eli, because Eli was the high priest. He's supposed to be the one who, who shows the people the direction they are supposed to take, and he ended up raising sons that were truly disasters. So the reason I give that preface is to help us understand what troubled Eli so greatly when he received some news. See, at the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel, uh, we read about the Israelites going to fight the Philistines. Okay, just a little bit past the section where Hannah prays and all of that happens. Now, we learn that Israel suffered a horrible defeat at the hands of the Philistines. About 4,000 men died, and the people of Israel were so upset that they decided to go get the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh thinking it would help them win the battle and put the Lord on their side. It's interesting because we could interpret uh, this decision in multiple ways, right? It's kind of a note on faith, almost a treatise on faith. Was it Israel putting faith in God to win the battle for them? Or was it that they were getting this, this ark, this, this physical object that they hoped would almost put God on their side? Obviously, the ark was extremely special and we're about to get there. But, but you can think about that maybe a little bit as we, uh, as we reflect on our virtual voyage. So we also learn that Eli's sons actually go out with the Ark of the Covenant and the Philistines are actually afraid for a moment, but then they take up courage and they go and fight with great strength. And the sad part is Israel was again defeated, but this time ugh, 30,000 men were lost. And guess who else was killed? Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons. And then the worst part is that the Ark was captured. So Eli at this point is back in Shiloh, right? He's, he's very old. He's not gonna be out fighting in the battle. He's probably back asking God for mercy on the Israelites, although he definitely doesn't know specifics. We have to consider the only way to get news in those days was to send messengers back and forth, right? So, so the only way you can, you can learn about the battle is to wait quite a while for a message to come, and, and by then so much has unfolded, it's a little hard to figure out the exact specifics of the battle. Anyways, a messenger does come. So Eli is actually sitting by the road in his chair. He's just waiting. He's, he's around the area by the city gates. Perhaps he's right in this area right in front of us or maybe somewhere else. But, but try to imagine that. We don't know for sure, but try to imagine just Eli sitting right here. It's interesting that the Bible notes that Eli was fearing for the Ark of the Covenant, but not the lives of his sons. Because when the messenger comes back and tells Eli that Israel fled, Hophni and Phinehas died, and the Ark was captured, he fell over backward in his chair by the side of the gate. So three bad things happen, and Eli falls over. And then we're standing right in this area where Eli heard this news, and then because he fell over and he was so old, he ended up dying. So you might think that all three of these pieces of news contributed to the reason he fell over and died and, and was just so overcome that, that that happened. Or maybe you think that his son's death was really the, the driving force that did it, but the Bible, in fact, is clear. When the messenger said that the ark was captured, Eli fell over. When the messenger said that the Ark of the Covenant was no longer in the hands of the Israelites, that's when Eli died. That's how much the Ark of the Covenant meant to him. It might be even fair to say that the Ark meant more to him than his sons. And of course, his sons were very disobedient. And that's not to say he didn't love them, but he was probably very disappointed in the example they were setting for, for Israel. But that's how much the Ark meant to this man. So that story unfolded right here, right in this area of the city gates right here where we're standing 
on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Obviously, it's a sad story hearing about the Israelites' defeat and the loss of the Ark of the Covenant is not a happy story. I'm not saying that. We then know that the Ark of the Covenant was uh, traveling about with the Philistines throughout the land. The Philistines then had some creepy stuff happen with them. They believed it was the Ark's fault, so they end up returning it to Israel. You can read all about that story. It's quite interesting. I encourage you to check it out. We'll also go to the place um, where the Ark of the Covenant was actually returned to Israel. So we'll get to that later on the virtual voyage. But next time you read that story, you'll remember these city walls and the city gate and maybe think of the messenger running running from the battle and, and maybe he just was coming up over that hill, right over that way, up the hill to Eli and giving him the news. Well, keep walking along the path with me here. I want you to see this. There's the synagogue building over here that we believe is the site of Hannah's prayer or maybe not believe, but it's the traditional site of Hannah's prayer. Maybe you know what I'm referencing when I say Hannah's prayer. Maybe not. It's all good. As we stand outside here, let's talk a bit about Hannah and that prayer for a child. And this is great because we're actually able to see the potential site while we discuss the story to really allow your brain to have this visual forever. I think that's so important. And one of the best things about, about traveling is being able to see the site and experience it right here and then also learn about the story. So Hannah was the wife of a man named Elkanah. And Alkina also had another, uh, another wife, Penina, a little hard to say. So that was a common practice back then, right? So nothing necessarily too weird that he had two wives. Penina had children, and then Hannah was infertile. So Penina was quite mean to Hannah and treated her badly simply because she couldn't have children. But the Bible also seems to indicate that Elkina loved Hannah more. So Elkina practiced what was commanded, and he actually journeyed to Shiloh every year from his home, in Ramathime, or Rama, as you might hear today, Ramah. So we believe that he would have taken his family, they would have all made the trip up, right, from where they were at, um, probably about 30 miles they would have traveled. I mean, can you imagine trying to pack up and walk with all these people for 30 miles? That was what they did every year as part of their obedience to God's commandment. So if nothing else, you, my friend, should take away from this that the Israelites were very dedicated to honoring God and obeying his command to go to the central place of worship, which was the tabernacle in Shiloh, and, and sacrifice and honor God. Okay, so back to Hannah. On one trip to Shiloh, Hannah finally has enough. You know, she's probably standing right here, and she's so tired of this disaster that she goes and she prays to God. She maybe just walks right in there and just is, is crying out her heart to God. We don't know exactly where she went, like I said, um, but we're going we're gonna, to, just for the sake of it, we're going to say that she's right in this general area. Right, And we also learn that Eli was sitting in his chair by the Lord's house, probably the tabernacle, but the synagogue, again, is just the traditional location. So all the same, Hannah was right here in this area, okay, right here up in this tell somewhere. When she prays to God and she asks for a child, saying that if she is given one, she will dedicate him to the Lord. And she won't keep him, but instead he's going to be a servant for the Lord. Now, Hannah's lips are moving at this point. You may know this. Hannah's lips are moving, but she's making no vocal sounds. And so... Um, Eli is concerned that she's drunk. I, actually, let me side note that the Jews still do this today. If you go to a synagogue, you'll see them moving their lips, and the sound they make is actually below a whisper. It's just enough that they're praying and they're remembering, but they're not actually saying anything out loud. So like I said, Eli thinks that she's drunk. Of course, if that's the case, uh, she definitely should not be here in the Lord's house, so he goes to kick her out. He's going to say, hey, hey, you got to get out. This is holy. You're not acting in an appropriate manner. 
But at this point, she explains to him that no, she's just crying out to the Lord. She never tells him what she prayed for, mind you, as far as we know. But Eli says that may God grant her the request she is wishing for. So Hannah maybe comes right out of this exit or comes down somewhere in this area. Try to imagine this woman of faith literally walking out the door right here, right there, after she's poured out her heart to God. Just try to imagine that. Try to take that in. Okay, so later what happens? Well, Hannah's given a child, Samuel. When Samuel's old enough, he's taken back to Shiloh, and that's where he's given to Eli the priest as a servant of the Lord, right? He's going to serve in the temple, and he does uh, excel at that, and he ends up serving Israel for, for a very long time. But see, I love that story in the Bible because it is such a great encouragement that some things that seem impossible to man are simply not impossible to God. Right? This woman was not able to have children, but through God it was possible. And furthermore, that story happened right here, right in front of our eyes. So just try to imagine that. Try to see it and visualize it. When you can actually visualize a sight, it makes all the difference in the world. Because next time you open your Bible to 1 Samuel, you'll think of this traditional location for Hannah's prayer or this general area. You can picture it in your mind. You can picture the dust. You can picture the structure. You can picture the surrounding hills and valleys. You've experienced the land of Shiloh. And my friend, the Bible can never be the same. Okay, so Samuel ended up serving the Lord very well during his life. And sadly, in his lifetime, Shiloh was destroyed by the Philistines. So he actually went back to his hometown of Ramah, Ramah, uh, accident there, a little weird, right? And established it as Israel's center, right? So that's the... That's the site where his, where his father is from, Elkina. And so he went back there. So if you're wondering about that, now you know. So here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM, we're going to head up the hill here at Tel Shiloh to what we believe is the site of the Tabernacle. It's a bit of a hike to the other end of Shiloh, but we'll be fine. Actually, as we're walking over here, look, there's a mikvah. Remember what a mikvah is? It's a ritual purification system that the Jews used to cleanse themselves according to that ritual purification uh, system that God had laid out. So it was very important to be cleansed when they, the Jews were here at the tabernacle worshiping God, right? So there are going to be various mikvahs around Shiloh that you'll be able to see. It's funny because when I'm here in Israel with my family, uh, one thing that we like to do is we almost have like mikvah competitions, right, at these old sites. Maybe you see uh, some pooled water or you kind of see a little dip in the ground and you say, oh, that could be a mikvah. So me and my siblings uh, play a little game where we see who can spot the most mikvahs. So I challenge you, can you recognize some more before we leave? Like I've said, the key to recognizing it, this is going to be your hint to winning this game, <laughs> something is generally going to be a mikvah if it has some steps going down into this pool that could collect pure water, like, like rainwater, right? And if you maybe see some of that water pooling, then you're probably in a pretty good place, right? Okay, so now that we're here at the supposed site of the tabernacle, I see all of you looking around wonder-eyed. Yep, yep, you're just staring at dirt. There's no tabernacle. There's really nothing. And you're probably asking, how in the world would anyone be able to suppose the tabernacle had stood here? Okay, here's why we believe the tabernacle was here. Aerial photos have shown that this area that we're standing around was actually dug out for a, a purpose. You can't really see it when you're just looking at it, but it, it, has, been, um, it has been structured in such a manner that uh, a structure like the tabernacle could have sat here. And the tabernacle would have been sitting here for close to 400 years, 
So that's enough time for it to almost become a permanent structure. So like I said, it, the tabernacle, yes, was a tent, right? It was not a permanent structure. It was not like the temple. That's why the temple was built to be a permanent structure for the worship of God. But this tabernacle here, well, the Israelites would have set it up in a way that would have allowed for it to stand strong. So we're almost looking at the foundation of the tabernacle that would have been constructed. If you look over here, come here. Yep, these indentations in the ground. And then if you look over here, yep, see those large stones? Those indentations and the large stones, well, they all point to the tabernacle being here. We'll talk about some specifics in a moment. You know, God told Moses very specifically how the tabernacle must be constructed in Exodus. Maybe you don't like hearing the word Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy because you think, well, that's the boring part of the Bible. It's really not. I would encourage you to go back and read those books of the law. I know it gets extremely specific, but it's for a purpose. God has given those to Israel in order that they can carry out his commandments in a very specific manner. God is a, is a holy and righteous and precise God, and he imparts that in his commands. So it's really interesting to, to read that. And honestly, after I went to Israel, I had a new appreciation for going back and reading the books of the law. I hope you will too. So God's extremely specific. He tells them uh, directions for the Ark of the Covenant, the table for the showbread. We have everything from the curtains, the lampstand, the altar, the court of the tabernacle, the garments the priest would wear. God's rationale for that precise construction of the tabernacle was so that he could dwell among his people. It needed to be precise for he is a precise God and he is a holy God. So sacrifices, come over here, they would have taken place potentially right here to the left at the entrance to the tabernacle, which might have been right over there. The priests would have come out and taken the sacrifices from the people, right? And then they would have they would have taken part for themselves, and that's what got Hophni and Phineas in trouble. They chose the meat they wanted, which was not what God instructed. And then we can see maybe just the, the, the sacrifices burning and the smoke raising to heaven and pleasing God. So according to measurements that God gave in the Torah, it's actually exactly in Exodus 27 if you want to go check it out. I think that's so cool that we can have those instructions. This location here that we're looking at, we're standing around, fits the 100 cubits by 50 cubits required by God for the tabernacle. Go back and read it. It literally says that in Exodus 27, and you're standing here. So step back a bit with me here and just survey the area. You see more than dirt now, maybe a little bit. See the indentations, the stones. And if you looked at those from the top, you'd see the rectangular construction that we believe is the tabernacle. You know, some people say that this place can absolutely not be the site of the tabernacle. It's somewhere else entirely up here on this tail. And honestly, we may never know for certain, but this does seem like a good location based on what we know about measurements and instructions given by God in the Bible. But if nothing else, you have a visual of the place where the tabernacle was at. Really, the pre-temple, you could almost say. Right, the place where God dwelled among his people. One of these days here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, I hope that we'll make it uh, to see a life-size recreation of the tabernacle down south in the desert, down by the, the Red Sea area. Yes, we're actually going to go to the Red Sea one of these days, I promise. It's going to be such a cool day. But anyways, that life-size recreation, I think it will help you gain an even better visual. So come over here with me and, and just look down at this large rectangle. If you squint a bit, you can you can see it, right? Come here. All of Israel, look around, is here at Shiloh for a festival, and the surrounding hills are crowded with people camping out. The priests are coming in and out of the tent right there, and they're blessing the people. 
am receiving their sacrifices. There the tabernacle in its glory stands, its a resting place for God among his people. And the smoke, you can almost smell it, it's rising to the heavens as the priests make the sacrifices that the people have brought. And over to the right, we see some people going down the hill towards the mikvah where they're purifying themselves. These would have been the happenings at Shiloh at its prime. As we return to the bus, let's look around and think about this awesome place. Hannah prayed for her son Samuel here. He became a priest of the Lord and a prophet and did mighty things for Israel. The tabernacle dwelt here, which was an extremely important structure as we learned. And while we can't know for sure, I'm pretty certain that the spot that we hiked up to is actually the location of the, the tabernacle. I mean, imagine that. Imagine God's presence dwelt right there among men, right in front of us, in that spot. Although it definitely doesn't fall in the joyous category, we did get to see the city gates right where Eli would have been sitting when he got the news that Israel had been defeated. His sons had died, and then that worst news of all that caused him to die, which was that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured. Well, with that, it's been a pretty awesome day here at Shiloh. This place gets me like no other. It's the place where so many people of faith had amazing experiences. It's the place where God dwelt among his people. It doesn't get better than that. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we return to Jerusalem and meet my friend, Rabbi Hanok Teller, master storyteller, author, tour guide, and host of the new show, Teller from Jerusalem. Rabbi Teller is going to give us a tour of Yad Vashem, the World Holocaust Remembrance Center in the heart of Jerusalem. It will be a tour that I hope will give you a greater understanding of the horrors of the Holocaust, but also be inspirational as we hear amazing stories of some of the most brave people you could ever meet. You won't want to miss it. See you next time on the Virtual Voyage.